Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of GraphQL Radio. My name is Abi Ayer, and I'm here with my co-host. Hey, here is Nicholas Berg from Berlin. All right. I haven't seen you guys in a while, but Nick has definitely been keeping up with the shows. We had some amazing guests the last two episodes, and I can't wait for you guys to meet today's guest. Today, we have James Baxley from Meteor Development Group, Apollo, uh, here with us today. Um, welcome, James. Thanks. Excited to be here. It's awesome. Uh, ever since uh, your GraphQL Summit talk, I really wanted you to get on the show to kind of explain more about Universal GraphQL, Apollo Client 2.0, and kind of what's, what's ahead for us. And I think this is going to be a great episode for all those front-end or uh, front-end Apollo Client lovers, and <laughs> even for the people trying to build isomorphic applications, this show is going to be just for you. Um, so as, uh, as Nick likes to always say on the show, we need to get to know our, our, uh, our guest. And uh, I, think, uh, I think it's always good to start off with how you got into programming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my background is actually in uh, architecture and design. Um, I went to a school in South Carolina called Clemson um, and got a degree in architecture and a minor in fine art there. Um, and I left school and started like doing residential architecture, which I thought I was going to really love because I love building things. Um, and then I got into the field and realized that the field of architecture is quite awful. Um, and at least it just, it wasn't a good fit for me. Um, and so I, I left architecture and started my own like freelance design company, um, doing print design and some product design stuff. And then honestly, I realized that I could make more money if I did web design. Um, and so I started to like, uh, pick up some web design stuff. I stole a whole bunch of source code from a whole bunch of amazing websites and tried to like learn it and rebuild it. Um, and then I wanted to be able to start to do a little bit more with it. So I started to, I guess, learn some JavaScript, which is really kind of how I got into programming. That's an interesting background to come from. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> really interesting. So how long have you been doing this? Uh, at least in the JavaScript space, I guess. Yeah, I've... I've been like heavily writing JavaScript for probably about three years now um, into like programming in general for about four, four and a half. Um, but like heavily doing a lot of JavaScript and programming work for about three years now. All right, very cool. And uh, when and how did you first get in touch with GraphQL? Um, can you remember how you first heard about it and uh, when you used it for the first time? Oh man, how did I hear about it? Uh, <laughs> I, so I, know, I definitely know when. So I was, um, my previous employer um, was a, a large megachurch in South Carolina, um, and I, I led a development team there. And we were on the precipice of building a whole new platform um, for our organization and for other organizations to be able to use. Um, and it was really tricky because we had like all these disparate systems. Um, we had a .NET app that had a SQL server um, that was like our management system. Um, we had a PHP and MySQL content management system. Um, and then we were actually using Meteor um, for like a little front-end app. And we had accounts and everything, so we had Mongo there. Um, as well as like a couple external API services like um, you know, Google Site Search, that kind of stuff. And so I'm sitting there thinking, how in the world are we going to actually like keep all this data in sync and make all this stuff work together? Um, and our original idea was just we're going to use like Mongo as one giant join table and try and keep everything in sync there. 
Um, and I was really, really nervous about it. And <laughs> honestly, I'm, I'm 99% sure that I saw a tweet about GraphQL. Like that's, I'm pretty sure that's how I found out about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I like started to look at it and at that point the docs were like, I don't know, maybe the spec if that was it. <laughs> um, but I looked through it and it's like, wow, this could, this could totally, totally work. So I, I put together a quick like proof of concept and it kind of blew my mind. And then I showed it to the team and I hit, you know, the play button in graphical and they knew where all the data sources were and they saw like three different databases coming back together at once. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, we have to do this. So that's kind of how we got started with it. Uh, that's awesome. And uh, from your career as a freelance, uh, as a freelance de developer, how did you then end up at Apollo? Yeah, so I... Um, when we started building out that application, um, we actually had some contacts um, who put us in touch with the Meteor core team because um, we were using Meteor and we're like, oh, well, this, I mean, this would be a cool contact to have. Um, and so I got on a call with um, Matt and Sashko um, and we were talking about like Galaxy and what was next for Meteor and kind of like how it was going to shape our product. And then I was like, hey, I mean, just so you know, like, I'm, I'm pretty interested in this whole, like, GraphQL thing as a data layer. Um, and they laughed because they had just finished a meeting where they decided that they were going to start working on GraphQL stuff, like, literally the meeting before they had to call with me. Um, <laughs> and so they're like, okay, well, cool. Then why don't we just, like, work together on it? Um, so I, like, as an open source dev, started to contribute to Apollo um, kind of, like, day one, um, and have been part of the project for a while there. And then about six months ago, it just felt like it was the right time to, to make a switch, and I joined the team full-time. Cool. Yeah, so it's super interesting and funny how these things sometimes play out. And like one day you're a freelance engineer, and then you do some open source work, and suddenly you're an employee for uh, Apollo. That's yeah, it, it's crazy. <laughs> like I, I live in, in nothing South Carolina, and... <laughs> to be able to like the internet makes it to where now I can work with all these amazing people. And, um, it was kind of, it was kind of incredible. I think that's a really amazing story. Um, you know, an interesting fact for you guys, I think James introduced me to GraphQL. Uh, because oh, wow. I was at this meeting with all these companies. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was, it was, I think James's company back then it was like new spring. And then I was with WorkPop. We were in this room. And uh, I think Matt and Sashko were like, hey, we're building this GraphQL thing. Here's James. He's going to talk about it. And James goes up and talks about exactly the problem he was solving. And then I was just like, yes, that's, uh, that's what I want. And then the second thing, he busts out this thing called React Apollo. And everyone in the room is like, oh, my God, this is impossible. <laughs> so a lot of React users were just like, okay, I get all this GraphQL stuff, but where's my Redux integration and stuff like that? <laughs> and then all, all of a sudden, James just pulls out, hey, this is React Apollo. It, uh, back then, Apollo was using Redux. This, yep. We'll talk about that soon. We'll get there. Uh, we'll get there. And all of a sudden, everyone's just like, okay, we can now start. And I remember starting the next day. I was just like, was so interested in, in doing that. So uh, that's, that's a funny story for everyone, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> full circle. Yeah, full circle everything. So you're at Apollo now. Um, what's, what's, what's your role? Um, what do you do for the daily day-to-day? -day -day? Yeah, so I'm uh, an open source engineer. Um, it's my, like, formal title, which makes, like, especially as an architecture background, I'm never sure how I feel about the whole, like, engineer thing, but that's another podcast for a whole long time. Um, 
And my role right now is I work on pretty much the, the, the client stack. So I'm like lead over the client stack, Apollo client, React Apollo, Apollo link, view layer integrations, um, a little bit of the tooling. Martin and I kind of like work a little bit together on the tooling, um, like Cogen, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I also work for like our Apollo enterprise program. So if, if you're a company that is looking to make migration or looking to adopt GraphQL, um, then you can, we have an enterprise program and I'm one of the um, sales engineers on that to help like be a solutions architect for companies making a migration. Okay. Yeah. Can you speak a bit more about this program or is it like uh, you can't really talk about the um, kinds of customers you get there and the kinds of problems you're trying to solve? Yeah, no, I can speak a little bit abstract about it. Uh, I mean, it really, honestly, it's like one of my favorite parts of my job because mm -hmm. I really love application development and library development is kind of, a, you know, it's a different thing there. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially what we do is we help companies um, of varying sizes who are looking to um, make the move to GraphQL or looking to like roll out a new product with it. Um, and so, you know, we're there from the very beginning or like kind of wherever you start with the program. Um, looking at giving best practices all the way from schema design to client development, authentication, that kind of stuff. Um, we're there to kind of like help over the course of the, the launching your product. So you get a Slack channel with us where we can like answer questions back and forth. Um, you know, we can do some on sites and come in there and kind of like really help you to get to the point of launching and then even post launch, make sure that everything is running really well. Um, so a lot of back and forth, a lot of getting to see how real applications are using this stuff, um, mm -hmm. which is like right up my alley and super fun. Okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about Apollo Client uh, 2.0 and um, the evolution of that. Um, maybe you want to introduce that uh, topic, Abby? Yeah, so um, Apollo Client 1.0, I think, was a really good introduction for new GraphQL developers to get started right away integrating the, all the data from GraphQL into their view layers. Um, and over the course of the year, it definitely went from very crude to very sophisticated. And I think with the big uh, promise of Apollo 2.0 was everything was going to be better. Right. In all aspects, right? But I thought it was already good. So um, do you think we could uh, touch on the major changes uh, that happened from 1.0 and 2.0? And you know, if there are things in 1.0 we could explain a little bit and how they compare, that'd be great for the, the viewers as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think 1.0 was and is, because it's still around, right, thanks to NPM, um, a really, really great tool for working with GraphQL in your application. Um, but it was designed and kind of evolved over time to be um, a really great way to work with a single GraphQL endpoint um, that was already a server set up and built for you, um, and to have kind of like a, a single like flow of action where you didn't have to do a lot of complex working or you, you didn't have a lot of needs around like really complicated network interactions. Um, and then the other thing that it did is it, it came with this like really great store out of the box. Um, but there are definitely some different like potential implementations for stores and different needs that you may run into. Um, and, and so the 1.0 kind of like it hit a little bit of bounds on the flexibility of it. Um, but like, it, so what the 1.0 provided for you, what the 2.0 tries to like build on top of, is the core concept we always want to have is you just describe the data that you need and then trust Apollo is going to make sure that it gets there correctly for you. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it, it built off of, so like 
funny fact, before the first React Apollo existed, and actually what I was showing the code at uh, customer day when I like did that presentation was my own like internal version of Apollo before Apollo was like really a thing. Um, and it was all this Redux boilerplate, right, around like how to do loading states and how to do like I'm in the middle of a request and errors and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so we're like, oh, this is, this is hard for everyone to have to write. So why don't we just write it once and then everyone can just use it and just like then start using it in their, in their uh, specifically React components at that time. Um, so one point I did that really well, but where it stopped short of was kind of being able to grow in a lot of ways. Um, like the core ideas were there, but we were kind of had locked ourselves into a corner a little bit on being able to experiment and try some new things out. Um, the APIs weren't really what we wanted them to be for public exploration um, and they weren't flexible enough. So the goal with the 2.0 wasn't to like throw out all the great stuff about Apollo. It was just to like kind of open it up more and allow it to start to do some more things. Um, you know, my talk at Summit with Universal GraphQL and Peggy's follow-up with kind of what's coming next. Um, being able to use GraphQL as the language of data instead of as a better way to request data from the server was kind of like what we wanted to get at with that. Um, and I think that hopefully I feel like we hit the mark pretty well there. And so you said that uh, you basically had the goal to make Apollo Client a bit more flexible and um, to be able to integrate more use cases. Um, do you have any concrete limitations in mind that people experienced with the 1.0 version? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, one of them, so I can speak to a couple different ones and, and kind of show you the APIs that have evolved because of that. Um, so one of the limitations was the in-memory store um, that shipped with the 1.0 um, was specifically kind of designed for um, really doing reactive updates really well. Um, so it's, it's a normalized store um, with a lot of like work to make sure that whenever you change some data, whether it's a mutation or you fetch some more data from the server and there's overlap, that it like it kind of magically updates your react components for you um, you know it makes sense coming from the meteor team where like magic was kind of the thing um, you know so like making sure that it worked really well but some of the limitations there were it has some performance issues um, when you get to really huge data sets and you're not doing a lot of mutations or like a lot of optimistic updates for it so we had some customers and some open source users who were like hey we're kind of like hitting the bounds of, of this in-memory store because our use case is honestly just different than the use case it's designed for. Um, and so we're like, oh, okay, well, you, you can't change the store out. Like, unless you rewrite Apollo Client or fork it, like, you can't do anything there. Um, and so we introduced the idea of a pluggable store um, and actually made ours, like, abstracted ours out and you have to plug it in now. Um, and, like, the, the Convoy team who's written Apollo Cache Hermes, they, you know, they were one of the ones who were, like, specifically working on that new store um, and it's, it's incredible it's a whole different way to think about a store it's it has different performance gains for different needs so 2.0 was able to solve that problem for them um, and then the other side was being able to do really like intricate complex things on the network layer was really hard in the 1.0 um, you know I, all of it was technically possible but it wasn't a really good api for it it was a it was a promise-based api um, and some of the things that haven't come to, to light yet, but are like secretly hidden in the 2.0 um, is the ability to return back multiple results. And so this opens up things like the live directive, streaming results from the server, um, even being able to like do some live queries as opposed to subscriptions. Um, so we needed a whole new network interface that would kind of allow for that. Um, that's where um, Evans kind of 
worked really hard. He was an intern this summer, and he's actually joined the, the uh, Apollo team in like two months now. Um, oh wow, that's great news! Yeah, yeah. super exciting. Um, and so he and I kind of wrote links um, and made that like an observable based tool, um, and it's one of my favorite parts about the 2.0. So that's that's a good segue, like. In Apollo 1.0, I remember everything was about the network interface, right? Yep. And you would either extend the network interface or you can mock that thing. And that was kind of how you operated at that network layer. But there are new concepts in Apollo 2.0. I feel like there are many different, I would say, composable concepts that are the new network interface. Do you think you can go over link, fetch, and I think those are the two, or there might be more, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so the, the new network interface is all about links. Um, you know, you'll, in most of the talks that we'll hopefully be able to give this year, a lot of the articles, if you just like run into me and accomplish something, I'll probably will talk your ears about, off about links. Because <laughs> um, honestly, it's a really exciting design space. Um, yeah. It reminds me a lot of the React component API, um, which is even a little bit intentional because we kind of like mirrored it in some ways. Um, where with React components, you have either functions or classes, and they have to implement a render. Um, and the, you know, the render's really finely grained, right? You have props and state, you need to return back some kind of UI. We're starting to think about like, what does that look like on the data side? You know, what, what is the concept of a data component, mm -hmm. if you will? Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, well, I have a request for information, and then I need to eventually return back one or multiple pieces of information. And so it's like, okay, well, you know, that pretty much is just a function and it returns back an observable. Um, so like Apollo link at its core is just that. It's a function that gets the operation you're requesting and it returns back some sort of data eventually with an observable or multiple results. Could you maybe quickly explain for uh, those of our listeners uh, who are not familiar with what an observable is, um, what that concept is of an observable, um, which you've mentioned a couple of times there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like if you think about a promise, a promise is um, a delayed request, it's a delayed action that will eventually return back or fail. Um, mm -hmm. Promises are really great, like async await code is fantastic in JavaScript, um, but there's a couple like issues with it. One, it's, it's kind of hard to tell when you cancel a promise, like where that would go, if you can even cancel a promise, right? You know, that's not a formal API, um, because of the way that they kind of get buried together. Um, and the other problem is you can only return back one result. And so when you form a promise, you get like the then or the catch, and that's how you like return back data. But an observable is, is kind of a subscription-based version of async code, where mm -hmm. you give it some initial like bits of information, and then it can call what's called like the next call. Um, and that's where you like subscribe and listen to what that data is going to come out of. So it's like a stream of data, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. But the really cool thing is that they can keep pushing data to you, um, and if you unsubscribe from it, then it can clean up like all of the other observables that may be hooked up and the subscribers to it. All right. Yeah, thanks. And like one of the cool things that that lets us do is we can really compose together, kind of like what Avi was talking about, a whole bunch of different functions that return back observables like all together into one big pipeline. Um, you know, it's kind of like the old gulp build tools, like build chains, right? Where you like pipe it and then like run browser fi and all these kind of things together. Um, and you know it's that same kind of programming model, but for executing like a way to find some data back. Um, so in practice, this lets you separate your concerns really, really well together. I was kind of talking about the old network interfaces. If you wanted to customize it, you end up with this like code file that gets longer and longer and longer. The more stuff that you want to do, and it's like all these if checks. And you're like, ah, oh, I don't want to break anything. Um, 
but with links, it's really small. You have like, here I'm gonna handle authentication, and here I'm gonna handle like error logging, and here I'm gonna handle a network request. Then you just kind of like put them all together, and then Apollo can use them to like make your data come back to you. I think a really good point that comes out of that, and I think this is what, been, what Jonas has been working on, is a community of links, where if these things are so composable, then why, why should I write something and keep it for myself? You could use an error link. You could use one too. You get one, you get one, you get one. Um, it's, it's a really uh, fantastic concept. Um, and I think, I think Evans was telling us on the, the show a couple times that that was his summer project, or, mm -hmm. yeah. which is, that's pretty awesome. I'll, I'll say that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we've been talking about network interface, links. I think that's a cool concept. We talked about the store a little bit and how it's changed. Um, what's what are some other things that were were improved um, in Apollo 2.0? Were there any things around server side rendering or other things like that? Yeah. Um, so I I went in and kind of refactored a bunch of the um, internal core of Apollo client. Um, we moved to a much more like modular architecture. Um, so we split up a lot of packages. We have like, I think three or four different learner repos now, depending on which project you're looking at. Um, trying to keep them focused on what they're actually trying to do. So like the Apollo client repo, we have um, a client side design implementation of the GraphQL like execution model. Um, and we use that for a lot of things internally in, within Apollo client. Um, and then we have the abstract cache. And so a lot of the improvements and work done around there was making it like more reliable um, and faster and smaller too. So like we went and we, we decreased the size by 40%. Um, we had like anywhere from a five to 10 X speed up depending on how your application is working. So we made the whole thing just run faster for you. Um, and again, it's kind of the thing where we knew that there's some initial wins that we could get out or we could work for like six months on a whole new Apollo client. Um, it was like completely throw away all the code and rebuild it. But I think that we saw um, a pretty clear path where we can make some immediate wins with this refactor and set ourselves up for a whole bunch of new features coming out. Um, you know, like next year, one of my first projects is going to be uh, improving the React Apollo component and the API, which will make it faster. It'll improve the server side rendering process um, even more um, and be able to like do, just do some new things that weren't possible previously. All right. Uh, so I have one more question about the change from Apollo Client 1.0 to 2.0, and that is about the dependency structure and the package uh, structure, because what I really, really liked about uh, the version 1.0 was that all I needed to do was import React Apollo. Yep. And um, when I first got started with uh, 2.0, and especially with um, the beta versions which have been out, it was really confusing to me uh, which packages I actually needed to include. I think every time I ran npm install, I got some unmet peer dependency warnings. <laughs> and um, so what is like the, the, the actual setup? Um, what do you need to get started? Um, and I know that you've prepared this Apollo client preset package. Is that all I need to get started today? Or... Um, what else um, should I know about dependency structures in regards yeah. to Apollo 9.2.0? Yeah, well, I, I want to officially, in the public space, apologize to everyone for the new dependency structure. It was 100% <laughs> my design, and it stinks. I, I openly admit that. Um, the issue, unfortunately, comes down to like dead code elimination and how, um, how good bundlers are right now and, and how mm -hmm. kind of like the wide variety of that is. So in order to like really get smaller bundles, if you didn't need stuff, then we needed to actually not 
have it dependent on there, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so if you want to just like get started up running with a React Apollo, then at this point it's three packages. It's React Apollo, GraphQL tag if you need it, and Apollo client, uh, the Apollo client preset. And that'll kind of give you what you had with the Apollo client 1.0. Um, and you know, the reason we pulled it out of the React Apollo um, directly is when the, the version dependencies were locked like that, every time that we had a breaking change with Apollo client, with Simver, technically we would need to fit that as a breaking change for React Apollo. Mm -hmm. um, and so you know, it would force us to do version bumps that really weren't necessary or honest. And we didn't want to have a whole bunch of like churn and people concerned about these version bumps when ultimately they didn't really need to be that. Um, but yeah, Apollo client preset, and then your view layer integration, um, and then if you're using GraphQL tag or maybe a build step for it, then you need that, and that's kind of the okay. bare minimum now. Okay, and so I did not mean to call you out there. I was not aware of that. I just wanted to, like, I had an uh, an actual interest in um, learning about that. Yeah, no, okay, absolutely. Cool. I think dependencies are necessary evils right now, right? <laughs> yeah, and you know, we, we, we made some improvements there. We removed peer dependencies on links because we removed the duct typing and like we're working to make it better. And honestly, I hope that bundlers get better to where we can just say, here's Apollo client and it'll magically take out what you don't use. Um, but until we get to that point, packages, packages everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think we have a, a pretty good picture now of what Apollo um, Client 2.0 actually looks like and how it's different from the previous version. So let's talk a little bit about the future and what's next in Apollo Client. So um, in the talks that I've seen at GraphQL Summit, I think a couple of interesting things were around custom directives. Mm -hmm. um, so you're planning, for example, I think, an at rest um, directive, which basically allows you uh, to, to hook up your GraphQL query to an existing rest endpoint. and um, that's a really interesting idea, I think, and it's probably not the only one which you have in terms of like uh, customization and other cool things which you want to integrate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so Apollo Link REST is a super cool project, and I want to give a special shout out to um, a couple people right now. So there actually is Apollo Link REST repository uh, under the Apollo GraphQL organization right now, um, and it is 99%, I would say. Um, written by the community currently. Um, so there's been two or three developers who have just said like, hey, I really want this, I really wanna be able to use it. And the community has come together with like very little um, help from us at all. You know, we set up the repo pretty much and like some tooling around it. And we came to a design consensus, we worked back and forth on that. And then that team, that community team has been building it. Um, and you know, it's pretty much in a usable state right now, and I think their planned launch for it is the first of the year, the big article and big launch for it. Um, but yeah, the idea there is um, you may not have a GraphQL endpoint, or you may be using services like Algolia or, um, you know, some other REST-based services that don't and may never, unfortunately, have a GraphQL endpoint. But as a team, you've learned it. Um, you want to be able to use that data in your components in the same way that you use Apollo Client, and so by installing this link and using uh, directives within your query, we can kind of reroute that portion of the data you're trying to look up to a REST call and then bring it back in. Um, and so you can kind of like get up and running with Apollo without having to have a GraphQL server at all, which is kind of like, I think pretty amazing. Um, and then another one that's really exciting is Apollo Link State, which I'm hoping is like gonna be formally released today. 
Um, we'll see. It's Friday, so maybe we'll do a release on Friday. I'm, I'm technically on vacation, so I have no idea what's going on with it. Um, but it, it allows you to replace a client state tool like Redux or MobX and manage all of that with GraphQL as well. Um, and it still uses those directives because with this way, you can actually have a single query when you define something for your component, fetch some data from local state, from a REST API, and from a GraphQL endpoint, all with a single request, and then your component just gets it magically for you. Um, and I think that's pretty pretty exciting. I've this used, is really cool, yeah. I've used Apollo link state heavily to build a new library that's gonna come out soon. Oh, man. <laughs> and I can just tell you right now, it's a great developer experience. Uh, it's a little weird at first because now you're just using GraphQL for everything. So it's, it just feels kind of foreign and like, whoa, I usually do this only for one piece of my app. Now you get to do it for everything. And uh, it actually feel, it's feeling more natural as I start using it more. Uh, yeah, I, I think if, you're, you, if you've ever written a GraphQL server with JavaScript, it'll feel really natural. But if you're used to, to Redux or some other state management tool, it definitely is going to feel a little bit weird. Just like they, I feel like they all feel weird when you first start working with them. Like any, any way you have to kind of wrap your head around managing data um, is always kind of funky. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's part of the future. Um, but, you know, there's another story around what we want to be able to do with Apollo. Um, and you know, those, those links kind of tie into it. But ultimately, we really want Apollo to be the way that you think about and manage data everywhere in your application. And so there's a lot that needs to go into that to make it a really seamless experience. Um, you know, there needs to be better tooling built around it. So we're working on some new dev tools um, that are like really improved on the current ones. Um, even give you something like link visualizer so you can see the requests go through your different link stacks. Um, be able to have better type integration if you're using a typeset. Um, so if you're using TypeScript or Flow or even Reason, there's now, um, thanks to contributor, there's a Reason Apollo binding. Um, oh, nice. And I've, on my vacation, I've been playing around with it a little bit and playing around with Reason. And honestly, maybe one day part of the core of Apollo will be written in Reason. Um, who knows? I can't promise anything. Um, but we want to be able to use tools like CodeGen and be able to automatically watch your project for you, automatically generate the types for you. So you really are just writing GraphQL and then your app knows what's going on with the data. Um, you know, there's another story around performance and offline and like the PWA architecture. And mm -hmm. so we're start, start, starting to experiment with things like how can we prefetch data before the app ever even boots up? You know, like we can extract the queries. How do we get some variables in those? And like for a React Native app, be able to fetch those before the JavaScript thread even starts and then just hand that data over to Apollo client. Um, you know, same kind of thing with service workers. What does it look like for your app to always be kind of looking for data? Um, this week, uh, we launched with a contributor, um, Apollo Cache Persist, mm -hmm. which is a really awesome project. Um, and it allows you to do like offline persistence of your cache. And like for React Native, it, as soon as you like go into the background, it'll just save your cache. When you open the app back up, it'll like put it right back into your app for you. So trying to make that entire workflow around data really, really seamless. Um, and then on the server, there's a lot of experimentation going on. You know, like at GraphQL Summit, one of the biggest things was, oh man, the clients were like really, really nailed, like working really well, but what do we do on the server? There's all these different libraries, there's all these different ways to go about doing it. Um, and all these like expert server developers are like, I don't want to write it in JavaScript. I want to do all this other cool stuff. You know, I want to have like, um, protobuf kind of transports and I, I don't want to have this execution model 
And so with the new Apollo, we're kind of focusing on allowing you to do that. You know, we internally, we've been experimenting and starting to think around what it would look like to do like a gRPC transport. Um, how much faster are you going to get that to go? Um, you know, the new tracing and, and cache invalidation specs. We want to be able to have your server team say, here's the data, here's how it gets invalidated, and then your caching layer with something like Apollo Engine and your caching layer with Apollo Client then automatically does all that work for you. So you never have to write like update mutation logic again. The invalidations are just done and you can go back to building your product. And ultimately that's what the 2.0 is kind of all about. Dude, you said gRPC uh, integration. My light bulb in my head just went off. Oh my god, I have such I have a good idea <laughs> for that. I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, you know, we don't really think of you don't really think of GraphQL right now over anything but HTTP. Right. You know? And I mean, besides WebSockets and stuff, uh, which I'll talk about right now. Uh, how's the subscription integration in Apollo Client 2.0? Yeah, luckily, the subscription API was already like observable-based because it made sense for it to be. Um, so it was a pretty easy change to get it up and running for the 2.0. Um, but honestly, it's an area where I would like to spend some more time and improve that process. You know, it's, um, it's not something that we at MDG use in our apps right now. Um, and so we've always been a believer in building things based off of what we use. And that's why, you know, that project is, a, is essentially 100% community-based after we kind of you know, um, early work to push the spec forward and to get that launched. Um, and then afterwards, it's kind of been maintained by the community. And they've done a great job with it. But I would like to see that become more of a commonplace thing. You know, I think that WebSockets are, they seem scary, but in practice, they're, they're really great and they're really powerful. Um, and you can get faster apps with them. You know, if you're making a lot of requests, you don't have to worry about all that DNS handshake and everything. And you just send it on the socket, man. Um, I'd love to see that kind of pick up more. Yeah. <clears throat> So there are web clients that we talked about, and I think it would be nice to wrap up this segment to talk about the native clients, Android and iOS. Um, how are those progressing since 2.0? Yeah, they're doing really well. Um, they're maintained by teams at some very large, amazing organizations. Um, you know, we're continually working to improve the code gen process for them, um, but Apollo Android is, is cranking along, um, and iOS is doing well also. And we're starting to, to take some ideas, so, the, um, the kind of the, the way that it worked out was like we had the original Apollo, Apollo client, and then we had the native version, and they're like, oh, that's nice from the native version, and that's nice. We'll bring that over to the client. And then now with the 2.0, like, oh, we built out these new things, and so now we're trying to figure out, okay, what, is, what does a link look like in the native world? Um, how can we start to bring some of these ideas over? Um, and then Peggy's been doing some incredible work and working with a lot of amazing people in the community figure out what does it look like, especially for the React Native devs, to work those two things together. Um, where you have Apollo on the JavaScript thread and Apollo on the native thread, and they have a similar store or the exact same store um, you know, structure, can you start to like share code back and forth between those, share actions? Um, and you're running Apollo on both threads at that point, which would be a pretty cool world. And I, I think that we'll be seeing a lot more of that in 2018. Cool. Uh, so the last topic uh, before we get into the picks um, is uh, Apollo client adoption um, and the GraphQL ecosystem as a whole, basically. Um, since, like recently, we have a couple of new players who entered the game uh, of GraphQL, um, most notably, uh, of course, um, AWS, who introduced a new product that is called AppSync that is kind of a, um, like, 
backend as a service, including the front-end solution. I think of it somewhat as Firebase, actually, as it's also heavily focused on real-time. It provides you with a database in the backend, and it also has the client component with it. So um, the client that they um, provided is actually built on top of Apollo client and also has, I think, offline capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, can you speak a little bit to um, like um, the, uh, the, the, the process? I think you weren't involved when they actually built it, but have you been in touch with them after that? And um, what was the conversation like? And what is your perception of that whole uh, project? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, when reInvent was going on, uh, like, you know, we're a distributed company, but kind of everyone was all tuned into it over the course of that day of work, like all over the world for Meteor. And we saw AppSync come out and we're like, oh man, this is, this is kind of crazy. This is like really exciting stuff. We're getting into GraphQL. It's really, really cool. But we don't really have, we don't really know what, what it is fully at that point. Yeah. And um, I hope I remember this for a long time. Peggy was the first one to find the repo. She found the repo and she messaged the channel that was like, you know, the watch party channel with the link. It's like, guys, it's all Apollo. And we were just like, what? <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> so we like all jumped in there real quick and like looked around and we, we were like, oh, okay, we, we, let's wait a little bit and see. Um, but yeah, it, it's amazing. They, you know, AWS with their the way they work, they develop stuff in private. And I totally understand that. Um, and, as soon as it came out live, we were like, okay, who can we reach out to to talk to about this? Because it's using all our open source work. They've actually made some really cool improvements to it. Like they made some <laughs> great improvements to uh, the iOS client, for instance, adding subscription support. We're like, oh, we'd really love to get that contributed back. And so we were able to jump on a call with uh, the team lead there. Um, and it was, it was a great call. And, you know, they're looking forward to being able to actually contribute a lot of that back to open source, which would be really awesome to see AWS do. But it was, it was honestly, it was a really cool validation of the 2.0. Um, yeah. Because we had launched the 2.0, like, honestly, three weeks ahead of that thing coming out. Um, and it was 100% based off the 2.0. It extended the in-memory cache. It used a custom link to give offline support um, with Redux Persist. Um, it used the subscription transport to be able to, like, create that Firebase kind of, like, real-time nature. Um, and it all was, like, okay, this is why we built it. Not so that we could have the end-all say on what GraphQL looked like, but so that new companies and new services could start to add their ideas into the pool for what GraphQL is. Um, and it was just, it was really exciting to see. Cool. And so only two weeks later, uh, Realm is also um, basically announcing that they now also have a GraphQL backend. Um, and they also introduce a client for that that I think is also using Apollo. Am I actually right about that? I'm not 100% sure. It is. Sure. So yeah. was that exactly the same? And uh, like, again, you just figured out the repo and you saw it's based on Apollo client, same message in the Apollo Slack. <laughs> yep. And, and they actually go a little bit further and they specifically reference that it is Apollo. Um, and like, here's all the documentation for it, which is great because hopefully, you know, it'll continue to improve our documentation. Um, but yeah, that was so cool too. You know, these, these, these frameworks, these libraries that are coming out to make it easy for managing data, you know, they're, they're trying to go like what our goal was and just make it part of their stack. Um, and it, it's super exciting to see. And I hope that it's just continue to contribute back. You know, when, when React started to really take on and a lot of big companies started to use it, there was this huge growth in the ecosystem and this huge like improvement of ideas on it because it, was, it wasn't just Facebook and their own use case anymore. 
because um, Facebook's use cases are very different than most of the world's. Um, right. So it was exciting to see that really grow. And I'm, I'm hoping the thing, the same thing, is starting to happen with Apollo. Wow. Um, and maybe one last question about that is like how are the clients that AWS and Realm built actually different from the plain original one? Like what kind of functionality did they add to um, improve the experience for their customers basically? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, one of the things they did is they removed the whole like, hey, install seven dependencies. <laughs> <laughs> <Makes sense. laughs> um, yeah, so I mean what they did is, you know, they took, a, they took an opinionated stance on some stuff, um, which is really great, I think they should. Instead of like instead of you composing your links and putting the cache together and like that, they made a single constructor like create your uh, Realm client or create your AWS client, mm -hmm. and they've made all those decisions and they've written links and they've um, yeah. they've they've taken all the stuff that is available in open source or like they custom wrote a couple things, all that stuff that everyone could go out and do right now, and they just put it together in a really nice package which shows like there's a lot of flexibility and we're trying to be kind of hands off and say, build the client that you need to. Um, and they put a, a nice use case on it. Yeah, they're operating at a different layer than the open source team is, right? So they, yeah. have, a, they have the luxury of making bold choices and their customers will adopt it uh, for sure. Right. Yeah. I would love more off the wall solution or off the shelf, <laughs> off the shelf solutions. Uh, yeah, um, AWS is a great one, but there's some open source ones like, um, GraphQL Yoga, right, from the GraphQL team. Like, those are kind of those off-the-shelf uh, GraphQL components all put together. I believe Yoga is for the server side, but you know, AWS is kind of like the whole platform, which is pretty right. crazy as well. Yeah, um, and I, like, I give a special shout-out to the GraphQL team for a number of incredible things and the way they've pushed forward the GraphQL ecosystem. But one of my favorites is GraphQL Playground, so thank you publicly for that. I put it in all of my projects. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Um, and it's cool to see like tracing support come into that as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they're, they're pushing forward all these new ideas and it's just, there's so much growth everywhere. It's kind of crazy. We have a dashboard of like the community growth, if you will. And after summit, it's like things are moving along and then something happened and now it's like, hey, okay, here we go. <laughs> cool. All right. Let's move on to picks. Uh, yeah. so I just want to wrap up the show now. Thanks James for being here. Uh, we do picks every week, um, so just it could be anything about programming or not or your life, whatever you want. Um, I'll go first to just start this thing off. Um, I picked uh, Schema Stitching Part 1 and Schema Delegation Part 2 from Nicholas Burke on Medium. Um, I have been enamored with Schema Stitching, really blowing it up in my company, and uh, I've tried to explain it every different type of way to a different person. Um, and I shared the articles and now no one has questions. So thank you very much, man. Cool, that's great to hear. Okay, then I'll move on with my pick. Um, and today that is a non-technical pick again. Um, it's the Headspace app. So um, Headspace is kind of a um, meditation trainer. Um, what I really like about it, though, is that they don't explicitly call it meditation, but they call it um, uh, practicing and training your mind, basically. And I think that this is a much, much nicer, con uh, much, much nicer conception of what meditation actually is. It's just to be able to maintain some kind of focus. And by rephrasing it to this training your mind, they take off this mystical thing that um, is 
usually connotated with the word um, meditation and like they bring it into the real world. And so I've picked Headspace up again lately and I'm just really happy I did. Um, so that is my pick today. All right, so my first ever pick, hopefully make it a good one. Um, so yeah, I've been on vacation for a couple of weeks and like any addicted programmer, I've been like playing around with some new technology um, just to get the chance to see what it's like. So mine will be kind of in between. It's not GraphQL related, but it is tech. Um, so there's a uh, open source project called Up um, by TJ Hollywoodchuck. Mm, yeah. um, and it has kind of like blown my mind with infrastructure. <laughs> Um, and I've, I've done a lot of infrastructure in my day. I've never loved it. Um, and it just came out and I started using it. And now I'm like, I don't want to use anything else. I, I've deployed like four different GraphQL apps with it. I deployed some front end apps and next app. And it's just so easy. It's just like magic. Um, he's done an incredible job. He's been super like public and he's been in the Slack helping me out with questions and stuff. Um, and so if you're looking for deployment stuff, I, yeah, you've got to check it out. It's kind of amazing. Cool. Awesome. So I uh, just want to thank James for coming on the show. Um, really appreciate it. Yep. Uh, this show has one more episode for season one, uh, and that will be with uh, Jake Dawkins next week. Oh, come on. You went with Jake. Yeah. So <laughs> back to the listeners, Jake used to work for me. <laughs> yep. I we, well, is that a good thing? <laughs> well, he's not my employee anymore. We'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, no, Jake's great. But uh, we're going to be closing out season one. I uh, just want to do a little reflection. Season one has been a really great opportunity to kind of test the show out and get really great people on. And so to see that we're going to end the year strong with these uh, guests is just to show you how, how much the show has grown. We're going to hit it hard with season two in the new year. Uh, so please keep tuning in. One more episode for season one, and we'll kind of give you guys a season two preview next week. Thank you very much for uh, joining us today, and we'll see you next time.